This song is called Big Brother. Right there. Oh, yeah. And pretty soon, if you don't get together, Big Brother will be watching. The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Peter Rivera has been crafting songs for decades, starting with Rare Earth, who signed with Motown in 1969, and Rivera has always said that they were thrilled to be on the same label as Marvin Gaye, Gladys Knight, The Temptations, The Jackson 5, and so many more. And while some were reluctant to actually sign the band at Motown, they would go on to chart huge hits like Get Ready, I Know I'm Losing You, I Just Want to Celebrate, and many, many more. I've got Peter Rivera on the line right now from his home in Spokane, Washington. Peter, thanks for joining me. And as a kid growing up, I I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13 when Rare Earth really made that huge impact. Two things struck me, Peter, as a 12, 13-year-old listening to you guys. First of all, even with just the small radios back then, your sound was exceptionally produced. And none of us thought that you guys were a white band. I got that a lot in the beginning, yeah, I did. Because we were, you know, we had to get ready. And I had grown up in Detroit, kind of studying and being influenced by a lot of Motown acts and Ray Charles. I loved R&B. So when we started making records, it had that flavor to it. And and a lot of people thought that uh, it was a black group, soul, you know, all this. And they were surprised to see that it's the blue-eyed soul, you know. The first band signed by Motown, yes? Well, yeah, I mean, they they had a couple of uh, white uh, guys, producers who had put together an idea to record a few songs, but we were the first, like, self-contained band that signed with the Motown, yeah. And, uh, by self-contained, you know, had, then you did not use the Funk Brothers? No, no, not at all. No, this was our band. It was, it was rare. It was, yeah. The band was called the Sunliners when we were teenagers. And it evolved into nightclubs for a few years. And we changed the name to Rare Earth when we were, uh, you know, before we went to Motown. And then when we got to Motown, they wanted to open up a separate division, a separate label to appeal to the rock market. And so we suggested that they use the name Rare Earth and they thought that was a good idea. So that's how Rare Earth Records started. It all worked out real good, right place, right time, as they say, you know. Yeah, because, you know, I think kids today, they look at shows like American Idol or The Voice or whatever, and they figure that's that's the way to break in. But you guys, you guys really, really did it right and did it the hard way, I guess. You know, we were back in the early, early days of, of the rock. Uh, as a matter of fact, had we had the sophistication with attorneys that they have today, we would have gotten a whole lot better deal, but that's no big thing. No, we and- got in a chance to go to Motown. We went in. We did all, what we could do, and that's all we could do, and, and it hit. And uh, hey, and Motown was Detroit-based, so I don't know today how you break into music. I feel bad for a lot of the young people who are trying to get started because the world has changed so much with the Internet and, and iTunes and Amazon. Well, it's, to me, 
of being a young person trying to get started would be very scary now. Who the heck would know where to go and what to do first? Yeah. We were a band, and, and, and when we got a chance to go to a record company, now people try to get something that goes viral on YouTube. No, I have that new album out called It Is What It Is. But once the album was done, we went, okay, we got it done. We're happy with it. We're proud of it. We think it's really strong. Now what the heck do we do with it? You know, there isn't any promotion, man. And we're not with record companies. We're kind of on our own like everybody else is. So That is how I ran into it. I saw an ad with your face and that you had uh, It Is What It Is out there. And I jumped at the yeah. chance. Thank you. Being such a huge fan. And I tell you, I've listened to quite a bit of it, and, and your voice is just as strong as ever, which is not uh, the case with some people who've been around for a while. Yeah, some people have faltered a bit, you know. I mean, I'm just very, very uh, blessed here as far as being able to still bring what I've always brought. You know, I have the energy and the strength and the you know, I'm so grateful for that. And I feel that this new album has that kind of energy that I always had on uh, the Rare Earth stuff, you know. Uh, I'm pretty pleased with that, and thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. And yeah, it sure does. Very important. Uh, uh, now, as young guys, you're at, you're at Motown. Did you hang out with any of those artists? Oh, yeah, we knew. You know, the revolving door of the studio. I mean, Marvin would be in recording one night, would be in the other studio, and would would meet, hey, what's going on, how you doing, and, Stevie Wonder, of course, when he was young, and then Gladys Knight, Smokey Robinson, the Marvelettes, you know, just all those people we met and knew, and hey, how you doing, Smokey? You know, and it was a place where we all kind of went to work, so you'd see them in the work uh, atmosphere and, and, and coming and going and Temptations and all those, and David Ruffin Temptations. We hung out. David used to come in the club and he'd sing Beauty's Only Skin Deep, a couple other songs. He'd sit in with the Sunliners. I mean, they really were the Sunliners then, but when we were rare, he'd come in and, you know, Bob Peter used to come in to the club. You know, it was Detroit. It was a happening scene back then. And then at Motown, all the artists treated us great. They were thrilled with the blue-eyed soul thing. Thought it was funny. At first, the uh, company probably thought we, it was somewhat of a novelty that we were in there, but... After yeah. a while, you know, they gave, they gave us respect. and The artists must have been impressed with the fact that you guys were playing your own gear, you know? Well, they were. Uh, they were uh, very gracious and nice to us and open-armed. The administration staff of the company was a little bit standoffish because we were infiltrating yeah. uh, something that they had cemented very well with the Motown right. and Tamla labels. And, uh, but there was no animosity at all. It, it was just kind of weird at first for a while. But I remember, I believe you guys played on the very first Midnight Special, true? We did, and we played live. Which was unheard of unheard of at the time, wasn't well, it? Well, you know, Dick, Dick Clark, we went in to do a show, and Dick Clark was there. And we were going to pantomime, like everybody was going to do. And Jeez, I just couldn't hear the panel. As soon as I hit the drums, I couldn't hear the speakers. I kind of threw my hands up, and Dick came walking out. He said, what's the matter? I said, man, you know, we're just so used to playing live. And he stopped everything. He says, okay, engineers, get some microphones out here. Let's get these guys live. Wow. He was a fantastic guy, man. He was a fantastic guy. He made you feel like you were his good friend just upon meeting him. And uh, he just bent over backwards for us. He was a sweet guy. The Midnight Special Studio, did they have the stuff that you needed to actually do a live show? Because, you know, back then they weren't as well set up. They did what they did. I can't really remember everything that surrounded that particular day. 
I do remember I was pretty nervous because here we were going on midnight special. And was that going to happen? And we came back again and did it again with Helen Reddy. And uh, so we had a couple of them, but uh, it was a great time. You know, things were moving fast. We had hit records, a couple of hit records out there. It was a great time. And, you know, we were keeping up with it, having a ball. Time went by. I think, Peter, when I, um, I, I interviewed uh, Denny Tedesco, the director of the Wrecking Crew documentary, these were the days when the Wrecking Crew or the Funk Brothers or whoever was pl- actually playing on the records. And maybe many of these bands just didn't have the chops to do it live. Yeah, I, I remember seeing, you know, sometimes you see these things on TV where they go back trying to sell you the, the al- five albums from the 60s, and they show the footage, and they were all pantomime. We went on the Ed Sullivan show, and we pantomimed to losing you. Well, you know, we were pretty good pantomimers, but still, when you hear the drums roaring on the wreck, and then you see me on the Ed Sullivan show, and I'm gently tapping the drums. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't it doesn't add up. But that was back then, you know. I came across your appearance on Ed Sullivan. I believe it was around 1970. You guys looked great, but they had ice skaters dancing around you. How surreal and weird! Was well, that was hell. I believe in the New York area, Baltimore, perhaps something. I can't even remember where it was, but it was in a big arena where they play hockey ice capades. The ice capades were there, and Ed Sullivan was doing that from the ice place and we never even saw Ed Sullivan I mean he he came in and he did all his little things you know bites uh, and now here they are rare earth, you know? right right and you hear him but you don't see him and then yeah we were doing losing you know, the, the ice skaters around us with, with afro wigs on it was yeah, really was funny all it was really a crazy time and of course we couldn't move much we were on those little risers that were on wheels the, the skaters start pushing us off. I mean, it was really... <laughs> I, I still laugh at it. It is really it is really interesting to watch that. It's I got a real laugh out of that. Yeah. How young were you, Peter, when you started playing drums? I was 10. Yeah. By the time I was 15, 15, I played with two guitar players in high school. You know, never joined the high school band or anything. I was on a church social playing, and that's when the Sunliners saw me and they were having problems with their little drummer. So they asked me if I would join them, and I said, sure. So they were older than me. There aren't too many drummers. I, I, I you know, I guess I think of Phil Collins, who, who sing lead vocals. What was it about you where you decided to do that? Well, you know, everybody was kind of, all the guys in the band were singing different songs. We didn't have many shows. We once in a while, a teen hop here and a teen hop there. And we kind of needed some more songs. So they said, then do you sing? And I said, well, I don't know, I could sing, so I, I did, I think, Chats Domino's Blueberry Hill, and I did one by Dion called Run Around Sue, and I had one of the other guys, he was going to play the drums while I came out and sang, well, it was a real train wreck, because he was not a drummer, and I was real nervous, you know, so I said, look, let me play the drums, and I'll see if I can sing it at the same time, so I started off pretty simple, nice straight beat and singing, and then eventually I learned how to play a little more drum feel and, and sing and it evolved because once we went into the nightclubs we needed a lot of songs we were there five six nights a week five sets a night my gosh wow. you gotta learn songs so yeah and i just kept saying well i'll learn that one i'll learn this one i'll learn that one and pretty soon i'm singing you know 25 30 songs a night Yours is a, uh, a a very strong and soulful voice. What were your inspirations? Because I'm thinking you probably had a little bit of maybe gospel in there. 
Well, you know, my early, early influences were Ray Charles, Elvis Presley, some Motown and, and, and Stax, you know, Aretha. And I sang more and more songs from those folks in the clubs. And so I started picking up on some of the ways they sang and the, the kind of soulful feel they had. And I was trying to, to do that. And so along the way, I was picking up my own way of doing it. And I tried things on vocal that I didn't really know I could do. And sometimes it took a little time for me to kind of rehearse it, rehearse it, and then and then lay it down. And then eventually you start getting wiser about what you do. You, As a singer, as any musician, you have to trust your producer because he is the objective person. I, I might sing a line 20 different ways. And if he picks out number 14 and says, that's it right there, then I have to, I'm smart if I go, okay, I default to you because you are the producer here. So you put your trust in his hands. And fortunately for us, Tom Baird was a producer for us. We did Born to Wander. Nice. Hey, big brother, I just want to celebrate. And Tom was always uh, really bringing the best of us out. What, what do you do, do with your voice these days? Because you're still out there a lot. Uh, what do you do to... to uh, to treat it and, and make it work as well as it still does. Absolutely nothing. Yeah? No, I, I, nothing. I don't even warm up when I go sing. When it's, when it's time, you know, when it's time to play or sing, I may, like, clear my throat and here we go. Now, I may not really open up for a few minutes, but I'll be singing and then all of a sudden things will open. And so far, I've been real fortunate that it worked. I've had I've gone I've done shows as recently as just a couple of months ago that where I'm talking with other singers and they are they're doing a honey in the tea. Yeah. So I'm going, Hey guys, here's what I do. I drink ice water with ice cubes. I said, Well here's my thoughts on the vocal cords and, and all that, the throat, those are muscles. I have two boys that played professional baseball and they yeah. iced their arm after a game. They iced their muscle leg when they pull the thing. Okay, right, you know that. Right. I contend that the ice makes the muscles in my throat go back because muscles are like uh, a piece of rope that gets real frayed, and when you ice your arm, it makes that frayingness pull back and get back into the muscle. That's just the way I look at it. So many people would say I'm wrong. The coldness seems to, I don't know, just helps out. I actually abuse myself. Sometimes I smoke a little bit and have a little wine. Never before I'm drinking, no wine or nothing like that. But and um, you know, I don't sleep the eight hours like you're supposed to. I, no. I can't. I mean, once I wake up, it's like okay, it's like a. A, a motor that starts running in my head. I've always loved the song "Born to Wander," and I'm, I'm wondering how that's how that song came to you guys. Did someone bring that to you? When we recorded our first album, "Get Ready," all we did were songs from the club. Okay, and now it's time for a second album, and we had no songs. We weren't writers. We weren't all this stuff. And there was a guy out of Vancouver. His name was Tom Baird, young guy. He was working at Motown. They kept him in a hotel there uh, near the, the studio. And he would arrange for Once in My Life, Touch Me in the Morning by Diana Ross. He was a genius kid, a nice guy. And so our manager suggested, hey, man, have you got any tunes? He says, yeah, I got a couple of things. And so he, he checked us out and, and he liked the rare earth. And so he came into, we were doing a show somewhere, I think in New York. He came in. There was a piano in there, and he says, well, I got this, and he showed us this one song. And I'll tell you something. When he played the piano and sang this song, I instantly knew, I want to work with this guy. 
just want to work with him. He was like put on the earth for, for me to work with. That's yeah. what I felt about it. So he had Born to Wander. So we went into rehearsals and he kind of showed us what his thoughts were about it. And we took it from there and started playing and he liked what we did and then we changed this, changed that. And so it was his, a song he wrote, Born to Wander, Tom Baird. And I sang it and we played it and it became a hit record. And then naturally, we did a lot of other things with him on albums and that. And then uh, Motown got a little bit afraid of it. So they brought Norman Whitfield in which was one of their king sure. producers with yeah. the amps and all that. Norman came in, and we were in the studio one night playing around. We were going to do this Losing You. And Norman came in and said, man, Losing You can do Losing You. He says, but why don't we take it in this kind of a feel? And that's how Losing You. So that Losing You came out, and that was a hit record. And that was just a one-time thing. You know, they had paid Norman to come in, be the savior. Well, then we went on to do other things, and we brought Tom Baird back in, and that's when we did Hey Big Brother. And then Nick and Dino were writers for Motown, and they, they hung around, and they had this song called I Just Want to Celebrate, and Tom Baird says, then we ought to maybe take a look and do this song. And we went, man, man, we want to do that song for it. So one night we were kind of stalled, and Tom says, hey, what about that celebrate thing, man? So we started playing around with it a little bit. But we did the track, and then the next the next night I came in and I did a vocal, and all of a sudden they went, hey. So we completed the song. We didn't know that it was going to catch on like it did. had no idea. We just thought, well, it's a pretty good song. Well, you know, they say that Get Ready was the biggest hit, but I can't see that for sure. You know, yeah. it was very hard to find out for sure just how many records were selling, and that was all kind of by design. It was hush-hush around there, and Motown, Quite honestly, didn't want artists to know what they sold. So as a result, uh, Billboard magazine used to have an RIAA stamp on a record when it reached a certain uh, amount of sales. I don't think that Motown wanted the artists to know that they were selling that many, so the RIAA ratings were not really flying around for the Motown artists. But looking back on all of it, I'm sure that Celebrate probably sold more than Get Ready. Now it's yeah. like, okay, we got Celebrate, we got Get Ready, we got Losing You, we got Born One, we got Hit Big Brother, and the whole thing is, is done with now, so what did we get out of it? Eh, I don't know what we got out of it. I did one day run into uh, the old ex-many-years retired lawyer from Moto. Uh-huh. And I asked him, I asked him, I said, what do we, he really liked us, but he was never allowed to really talk with uh, artists because everyone's going to go, hey, how much money do I make? You know. So he told me years later, he says, you were my favorite singer in Motown. He says, so we talked for a while. I says, hey, by the way, I said, what did we get out of every dollar that we should have got? He says, oh, probably 15 cents. <laughs> and I said, wow, is there anything I can do about that? He says, no. He says, you had to prove that at the time you did your contracts, we were being fraudulent. And he says, we were not being fraudulent. What happened was, we offered you a contract, and you, your manager, and your little attorney there, who didn't know us from a hole in the ground, we all said, yes, we took the contract and signed it here. We were so happy to have a contract. Yeah. And we did not look into it. It was prehistoric times, and you were so green. So I've watched a lot of footage. I saw California Jam, which was an historic music festival, and Rare Earth was a big part of that lineup. What are your memories of that? Just thousands and thousands of people. We were the first act on California Jam. We went on at 9.40 in the morning, 
And the people had been there since the day before, and all they had heard was pipe music through the speakers. So we were the first live band. Here we go. So people just erupted because they were finally so happy that this whole thing was starting. And we were all nervous. I listened to that tape. I see that video. And we were playing at 100 miles an hour. I mean, so yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. And there were a sea of people, and we had to get backstage via helicopter. So the helicopter picked us all up at the hotel, went up, went around and buzzed the audience. And we're looking down and thought, holy cow, look at this. And they set us down behind stage. And then, of course, we went up and did our thing. That was one show that was great. Another one was the Atlanta Pop Festival, where there were yeah. 300,000 people there. Wow. And you took these roads into the farmland where the concert was. It was bumper to bumper. We didn't know if we'd get in there. People everywhere, but we finally did. Jimmy Hendrix played right after us. As a matter of fact, I was talking to him briefly backstage before he went on, which was right after us. And uh, it was just a thrill. It was just like so many big things were happening. It's like, wow, what is all this? And then we played in South America in a bull ring. We were, we were the gift from R.C. Cola to the South America. Huh. And I said, thank you for carrying the product. And then we did uh, Madison Square Gardens, and we did Forest Hills, and all the coliseums of the country. And it was just phenomenal. And some of our opening acts on one particular show was Steely Dan, the Doobie Brothers, and Earth, Wind, and Fire to us. Now, that this is where the true value of your management comes up, because the Doobies, Earth, Wind, and Steely Dan went on to international prominence. We didn't. Hmm. We had offers to go to Europe, but our manager wanted us to stay in the States. Why? Because we made more money in the United States, and he got 20, 20 cents out of every dollar we made. So, And we would say, man, we've got to go to Europe and England and all this. They want us to come over, and he'd go, ah, nah, big headache. So we never became an international act, whereas those other groups, they had a management and record companies that looked at the future and, and negotiated things to, to get there. We got to a certain point where we were just kind of stopped. And yeah. things trailed away. And that's when the arguing started and, and guys were pissed off about this and that. And we couldn't get much done. And I'm over here going, guys, come on. We got to get in the studio. We got to work. We got to have some new product. We got to really kick it. Let's go. And so the drugs and things came into the picture. So the apathy and lethargic this and that. And hey, we got it down. We're superstars and everything's going to be great. And then without us paying much attention, it all started slipping away. And that's when I left the band because I went to the manager and said, hey, man, this is where we got to really tune it up, you know. I wanted to pull away from the manager and get new new management. And the band didn't want to leave with me. They wanted to stay with them. So I left. That was back in 80, you know, 80 or 75. And then they sued me because, see, the management, they all got real ugly about it and said, they sued me for millions, claiming that I was taking the name, that I was stealing the profit sharing, which I wasn't. And plus, I had kids that were born now. Man, I'll tell you, it just got yeah. really tough, you know. It's like the band says, no, you're not allowed to get married. You're not allowed to have kids. Well, sorry. So all these years have passed. Are you in touch with any of the original lineup? There's only two left. The original sax player, his name was Gil Bridges. He was there actually in the band that hired me back when I was a high schooler. So he's he's been there with me as a founder. The guitar player was a replacement for Rod Richards. Rod Richards played on our first two or three hit records. And then Rod, he got, we had to fire him. 
So we did, and we got this Raymanette. Well, Raymanette's on, on Celebrate, Cape Big Brother, things like that. They all stuck with the management, and I left. A couple years later, we all went back together again, and then I left again. And do you still get a charge out of it going on stage like you did when you were in your 20s? Absolutely. You know, my life now is my kids are grown up and gone. My wife's passed. I'm here kind of by myself, and my love is playing music. The other night, two weeks ago, we did a benefit for a trumpet player who was very ill. And about 10 singers, girls and guys from the city here, got together with a 22-piece orchestra that is comprised of the best players in high school and college under the direction of a veteran drummer. And they're called the Master Class. So we did a show the other night, and I was in a tuxedo, and I did The Best Is Yet to Come, I did Fever. Everybody did two songs. It was done at a beautiful theater. I do stuff like that, and I loved it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm sitting on the best. Yes, 22-piece orchestra is playing. Man, I love doing all this stuff, anything. So I got my new album out, and I'm trying to get booked, and I've got some shows to do, and I just love it. And I don't get tired of it. And the thing I do get tired of is being crunched in the airplane for hours. But hey, that's all part of it. And I really like your website. You can go there and listen to some of the newer stuff. You can buy signed CDs, your autobiography, even get signed drumsticks. Yeah, I get orders all the time. And I sit down and I inscribe it and sign it and send it out. People, that's the only place to get a hard copy of my CD is on my website, which is PeterRivera.com. And, of course, all the songs from the new album are, are on iTunes and Amazon. So I keep throwing stuff out there. This album is the first album that I've done in 25 years. 30 years. Well, all I can say after having listened to the CD is just, wow, it's really impressive. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We, uh, we think it's pretty strong. You know, there's a guy named Dave Seabird, and back when I lived in Coeur d'Alene, I used to come in Spokane, and he worked for a group called Production Company, and they do, still to this day, a lot of commercials for all the big networks, Disney, TV shows, everything. And I always loved Dave. I sang on his commercials, and I wanted him to produce records but he just never had time to do that and finally i've been friends with him for 25 years finally dave came over and said you know i know you've written a lot of stuff let's listen to some of it so we did he heard two or three things one song was it is what it is and he said let me run with this and we feel that it's fit for release and we're hoping that people like it we're trying to get get people to know that it's there because we're not going to be the next teen wonder yeah we're not going to be on on pop radio come on but you know what? I have millions of listeners that are a little older, you know. If they knew I had a new record, they just might want it. Now I want to be open for going here and going there, and I hope to get more dates because I enjoy doing them. And one thing is, is when I get up there, usually I'm doing Celebrate, Hey Big Brother, Get Ready, Losing You, you know, and people are out of their seats. We're dancing, we're having a great time, so I'm real good for these kind of shows, and, and uh, I hope to get more. Well, everybody go to PeterRivera.com. It is what it is, is the latest CD. I highly recommend it, and all kinds of fun stuff to do on the website as well. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, and uh, hey, happy summer to everybody. And you too. Thanks so much, Peter. 
Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. The Rare Earth story, unfortunately, is like so many groups who came out of that era in that they were mismanaged and should have been even bigger than they were. I'm just glad that we have all those songs forever to listen to. That ends this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. Oh,